a bonus episode. Welcome to The Past and the Curious. It's another Kids Listen Sweeps. So many of our friends in the Kids Listen group are creating special Halloween-themed episodes. Fun, right? It is. So check out Kids Listen for a complete list. But we want to give a special shout-out to our good friends at Good Stuff Kids. It's awesome. Mike wanted to create a show that he and his kids could listen to and enjoy together, and he's done just that. He regularly hosts guests who are actively creating awesome stuff for kids and families. So that's right up your alley, I bet. There's a lot of music, so naturally we love that. But there's also a sports show for kids that he produces that I know many of our young listeners would really enjoy. We get lots of requests for sports-related shows, and we're working on it. But in the meantime, you should hop on over to goodstuffpod.com to find out more about what they're doing. Good Stuff Kids. This just in from the Kids Listen Network office. We have found out that the Good Stuff Kids podcast episode for the sweeps features our good friends Andrew and Polly from Ear Snacks, and they're going to be talking about two of our favorite things, the theme song from Ghostbusters and Theremins. Sounds awesome. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This super duper special mega fresh double plus bonus episode is about ghost ships. Sounds spooky, right? If you can believe it, this has really happened. A boat sailing in the middle of the ocean with no one on board. Now, it sounds super duper special mega fresh double plus spooky, right? Well, as it turns out, not so much. So get your ears ready and get hip to history. The Mary Celeste sat at Pier Number 50 on the East River in New York. It was November of 1872 as the 11-year-old ship sat waiting for the foul weather to break. At this time, New York Harbor was a forest of ship masts. Reaching almost as high as the buildings on land, hundreds and hundreds of tall boats rocked in the soft waves. It was the busiest port in America, and constantly cargo was coming and going, bound for all points of the world. A stone's throw away from where the Mary Celeste waited to begin a crossing of the Atlantic, another doomed ship, the Lusitania, would sit just a few decades later. And nine piers down the row was Pier 59, the pier to which the Titanic never arrived. The Mary Celeste was sailed by a co-owner named Captain Benjamin Briggs. Along with the captain would be his wife Sarah, their daughter Sophia, and seven other sailors and crew. In the cargo hold of the Mary Celeste were 1,701 barrels of industrial alcohol. Take one down, pass it around, 1,700 barrels of industrial alcohol in the hold. All of which were bound for the port of Genoa, Italy. A troublesome trip was not expected, but should calamity rear its unpleasant head, Captain Briggs was well prepared to handle the situation. He was known to be calm, level-headed, and with many years of solid experience. That's exactly the type of captain you would want. When the weather finally relented on November 7th, they began their voyage across the Atlantic Ocean, and it was the last time anyone on board would ever be seen. 
almost one month later, on the afternoon of December 4th, the crew of another ship, the Del Gracia, spotted the Mary Celeste between the Azor Islands and the coast of Portugal. Captain Morehouse, who had left New York just behind the Mary Celeste, was probably familiar with the ship and with Captain Briggs, so its current position would have seemed very strange to him. It was under sail. That is, its sails were up to carry the wind, but its movements were erratic and strange. They got closer and tried to get the attention of anyone on board with a cannon blast. Nothing. They continued to draw nearer. And as they did, the lack of activity on board the Mary Celeste was alarming. They observed not a single soul on deck. Not everyone could be down below. This was certainly a strange sight. So, from the Del Gracia, it was decided to organize a boarding party to get a first-hand look at the strange situation aboard the empty ship. Now, here's where the story starts to get questionable. Most recountings of the event say the Del Gracia boarding party found the Mary Celeste eerily quiet. The stove was still warm with hot coals, and the bedding was still there. There was six months' worth of food and water still on board. But what is even stranger in these tales is that it is said that there were lunches still warm on their plates, and personal belongings and clothes still set about as if everything was normal, and all of the navigational tools were there. It is even said that they found all of the ship's books and journals still open to the last log entry. Some even say it was made that very day. And there was no sign of struggle. The ship was in perfect order. It was just missing a crew. No captain. No captain's family. No sailors. What on earth could have happened? People have wondered this for the last 150 years. Was it sea monsters? Pirates? Alien abduction? A sea quake? A tidy mutiny that left no evidence? Perhaps it was spontaneous group combustion. Well, we don't know with certainty, though conspiracy theorists and Smithsonian scientists alike have tried to figure it out. The Mary Celeste is the most famous ghost ship in history. But instead of asking what happened, which we simply can't answer, we think a great question to ask is, why is it the most famous ghost ship in history? Because it's not the only one. In 1840, the Rosalie was found in an almost identical state, as was the Armania, in 1849, and the James B. Chester was found floating in the Atlantic completely abandoned with no sign of struggle and all of its sails still in place. The Resolvin in 1884, the Freya in 1902, same story. And that's just a few. There's more where that came from. And as to why this is the only one still discussed, well, a lot of the credit is due to one man, and you might have heard of him. Before the character of Sherlock Holmes was invented, and loved by millions, his creator, Arthur Conan Doyle, was still trying to break through making a living as a writer. At the time, it was not uncommon to use inspiration from the real news of the day, and he did just that. 
The problem is, is that some people couldn't tell the difference. Doyle wrote a story called J. Habakkuk Jepson's Statement, which was published in a magazine called The Cornhill. It told the story from the perspective of a man on board a ship called the Marie Celeste. Many of the other details were very, very similar, or actually taken from the real-life occurrence. The narrative was so strong and the story was so compelling that people began to take the story for a true account of what happened. But it was not. The cause in the story was an angry former slave taking revenge on the crew. This was certainly not the case in reality. Many of the elements of Doyle's story have become wrapped up in the myth of the Mary Celeste. The short story became quite popular, so you can see why the sensation it created might have propelled the real ship ahead of other ghost ships in our collective brains. Add that to the fact that the mystery behind the real ghost ship, Mary Celeste, hasn't been solved, at least not 100%. And when you add all that together, you get the recipe for a story that people want to talk about for years and years. We love a good mystery, especially around Halloween, which is when this story always seems to pop up. So, back to 1872. The sailors of the Del Gracia towed the ghost ship into port and it stood for a salvage trial. Over the course of the trial, before a court, there was much testimony given and though a lawyer was pressing hard to prove a mutiny had taken place, it didn't work out that way. In truth, the fires did not burn in the ship's oven. There was not food on the table and the last journal entry was written on November 25th, nine days before the boarding party found the Mary Celeste. The ship had been empty for quite some time. And more importantly, they discovered that there was a lot of water in the hold and the lifeboat, it was gone. There also appeared to be a rope trailing behind the ship that had broken off. Now we think the most level-headed and logical explanation goes something like this. Perhaps the crew was in fear of the water on board the ship, or more likely, there was a concern that some of the alcohol in barrels had begun leaking, and with an open flame, there was the potential of an explosion. They had to act fast if this was the case, so the crew took to the lifeboat, but stayed tied to the Mary Celeste, albeit at a safe distance, should an explosion occur. However, the rope broke, and the lifeboat and ship were separated. The anticipated alcohol explosion never happened, but unfortunately, with that broken rope, it left them stranded in the ocean on just a small lifeboat. And that's never a good thing. Still, this is a theory. No one really knows for sure, so do some digging. See if you can come up with an answer yourself. Maybe it was aliens all along. Take one down, pass it around. 1,643 barrels of industrial alcohol on the wall. I don't want you, but I hate to lose you. You've got me in between the devil and the deep blue sea. 
But I can't forget you You've got me in between The devil and the deep blue sea I want to cross you off my list When you come knocking at my door Fate seem to give my heart a twist And I come running back If you've enjoyed this show in our first full year, the first of many, we hope, we could use your help. And it's easy. We need you to help people find us so that they can enjoy it too. It's only fair, right? One great way to do that is to subscribe on iTunes and to leave a review there as well. This helps our rankings. And the higher our rankings, the more likely people are to listen because we'll be more visible. Um, and you can play a huge role in that by doing those things. We would appreciate it very, very much. Or you can just tell someone with your mouth. That's actually what mouths are for. Eating and talking about the past and the curious and nothing else. Also, you should check out the new Kids Listen app on iOS devices. That means iPhones and iPads and stuff like that, if you don't know. Um, it is awesome. And it is the most dependable and convenient place to access the best in curated children's podcasting content. If you can't find something there that you like, well, maybe it's time for you to start liking awesome stuff. But seriously, uh, we are really, really grateful that you listen and truly hope you get something valuable out of the experience. It's an honor to create for you. So drop us a note sometime and let us know what you like. That's always really exciting for us to hear. Now, this is super awesome, too. Recently, I had a listener recognize me by my name tag at work. I work at the Fraser History Museum in Louisville, Kentucky, and he happened to be there with his fourth grade class for a field trip. So I just wanted to say hello to Jackson. Uh, really, really made my day. Um, I also recently got a note from a parent whose child was inspired by the moving panorama episode from way back. It was episode number two, actually. Um, and she was actually making one of her own. So how awesome is that? 
So if you haven't heard that episode, you should go back and listen to it. But more importantly, uh, if you've done something like that, if you've created something that you've been inspired by what you heard, let us know that that really, really, really keeps us going. Thank you again. Consider giving to our Patreon account. Your financial support would be wildly appreciated. This is a labor of love, but we'd like to make it a labor of love and money. You know, just consider it. Thank you very much. We'll see you real soon with a full episode.